Welcome to Get Rooted. A Mending Roots Healing Center production. This is where we get real, get real messy, and get rooted in all things that heal us. I'm Nick, licensed clinical mental health counselor. I'm Megan, licensed clinical social worker. Megan, are you ready? Uh, not at all. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> This week, we're interviewing Bethany Root, child play therapist at Mending Roots Healing Center. So I um, went into grad school the second time around for um, clinical mental health counseling, knowing exactly what I wanted to do, the kind of work that I wanted to do, um, based on some volunteer experiences I'd had in the past. Um, I wanted to do a certain type of therapy with children. And there were a few years when I volunteered as a grief facilitator um, with kids who had lost a loved one. And um, this was a really cool organization in Florida. Um, we would do like a circle time activity with a small group. And then there were all these different rooms. There's like a sand tray room, a dress up room, a paint room, a hurricane room, which was like padded walls. And a punching bag. I want one of those. Here. <laughs> like, it's called. Amazing. It's called. It's called New Hope for Kids. Shout out to New Hope for Kids. Yeah. We'll link um, to it in the bio. It's amazing. Um, and that's where I, I spent a few years volunteering there. And the, part of the training was reflective listening, which is one of the um, core skills in child center play therapy. Could you totally nerd out for us on like what you want to do, your approach? Sure. Oh gosh, I would love to. But once I go down that rabbit hole, you're going to have to like pull me out at some point. So the foundation of my approach is child-centered play therapy, which is really child-led. And for me, that feels the most helpful for a lot. I mean, it's going to be different with every client, but for a lot of kids, because when you think about a child's life, when do they have control over anything? Not very often. Um, a lot of decisions are made for them. And um, a lot of emphasis is put on compliance and behaving and definitely not connecting to self and understanding what's actually happening for them, you know, nervous system-wise, emotion-wise. Um and with child center play therapy, they have a space where they are in control. They get to experience what that's like to be able to make decisions with, you know, with necessary limits, of course. Um, and um, and um, so when, when I think about the ways that I learn, it's through doing. Um, it's not necessarily through someone telling me what to do. It's through like making mistakes, doing things wrong. And it, this really gives a child a space to encounter some of these difficult feelings and not immediately have someone swoop in and be like, go sit in the corner, stop crying, um, telling them how to manage it. They're learning how to manage it because they're the ones in control. Yeah. Do Yeah. So um, the additional layer to this, which is what I'm learning right now and which is what I had been referring to earlier, um, the training that I'm doing, is bringing co-regulation into the playroom. So with traditional child-centered play therapy, the therapist really wouldn't talk about their experience at all. 
And I think that's still really, really helpful. Um, I've seen how helpful it can be for the child um, because of that opportunity to have a sense of control and to work through feelings and situations symbolically through play. Um, but when I've started implementing this other layer to it of co-regulation, it's been really, really cool to watch. Um, and basically what that entails is if a child, um, let me rewind. Um, if a child is experiencing some distress in the playroom, and I'm starting to notice a feeling in my body of like fight, flight, freeze. If, if I'm getting out of my window of tolerance, then there are a couple of different ways that I could respond or act or things that I could say to kind of name it in the playroom. So I could say something like, Ooh, yeah, I'm finding it hard to breathe right now. It feels really tense. This is feeling like a really... I just don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, for example, if a child is, you know, playing with dinosaurs and um, it's getting really uh, intense and aggressive, or if a child is coming at me with a foam sword, I might say something like, like, I don't know how to protect myself right now. Um I just, I don't know what to do. I'm so scared. I feel like I can't relax. Um, and so that kind of thing, it's not, I think a lot of reluctance with this kind of work is not wanting the child to feel responsible for how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think what it actually does is name the feeling in the room so the child doesn't feel alone in it. And then what I can do is start to do things to regulate myself. Like I'll say like, oh, I'm just I'm trying to take a breath and I don't know how I'm just going to, or just start moving around without saying anything in a way that feels grounding, but there's no real script to it. It's whatever I feel like I need to do in the moment, which is why it's really important for me to connect to myself. And that's why it's such a learning process. Um, and, you know, for the children who may feel like they do have to caretake, that's an opportunity to bring that into the playroom as well. Like if they start saying like, oh, I don't want you to feel that way. Yeah. Then that's sort of now that's in the playroom and we can work with that. Mm -hmm. So I've just found it really fascinating um, to learn about, to observe, um, and to start practicing. Um, and it can be really challenging because it really requires my presence and connection to self. And if I am having such a hard time with that, can you imagine how hard that is for a child? Mm. So it's really given me a lot. It's been humbling and it's given me a lot of respect for children who are trying to navigate this, who yeah. learn by watching adults or they try to learn by watching adults. Well, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because I do a lot of trauma work and a lot of trauma work, you show up with a lot of the same coping skills that a kid would use mm -hmm. to survive their environment, right? So that relational awareness of, oh, I'm impacting you, you're impacting me, we can regulate that together 
when you've been through a lot of trauma, you're holding a lot of responsibility for how other people feel and interact. <laughs> and as a result, yeah. you may like try to, you know, get the, get it from them and build that attachment. And then some of us, not me personally, probably me personally, <laughs> like run away and are like, okay, well, I don't need to rely on you. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. kiddos are learning it now in therapy so that then when they're adults, they can show up without some of the stuff that some of us at <clears throat> 40 are like relearning how to do. Absolutely. Right? And that's really, I mean, that really encapsulates why I got into this work and why I love this work and my primary motivation, which is as early as possible in life. Um, to help children get to a place of connection to self, to have that foundation so that no matter what else happens as they get older, because, you know, difficult things are going to happen, but they'll always have that foundation there rather than waiting till kids are adults and trying to dig things up and, and heal that way, which happens for a lot of folks, myself included. And, um, I think if there's any way that we can help humans as early as possible, that's really significant. So how else do you work on connecting to yourself? Oof. So many ways. This is like, this is really my focus and journey the last few months. And it's been so interesting to me because it's shown up in so many different ways I think it's really cool and elegant when that happens, but also really overwhelming <laughs> in some ways. Um, so I think um, that, you know, what I previously said about um, allowing myself to have a goal that feels right to me and pursuing it, um, regardless of what other people think or whether they understand, um, that was a huge uh, example of it. Um and the, there's a type of therapy uh, that I'm doing training for right now that really requires the therapist to be connected to self in terms of their nervous system in the playroom so that they can co-regulate with the child. They can provide co-regulation. And when I started doing that, I was embarrassed and unsettled to learn how disconnected I am from myself in the playroom. <laughs> I'm so focused a lot of the time on what the child is saying or doing. It's like so much attention on them. And then when I was challenged to take note of what was happening in my nervous system, like sometimes I would just go blank. I'm like, what is happening? I I don't know. You know, (laughs) I really don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think as therapists, sometimes we are really focused. We are encouraged to really focus on the client so much that we do inadvertently connect from self. Um, and so that's been really interesting um, as I try to practice that. And part of this kind of therapy is also naming it. Um, and so finding the words to, to name that um, in a way that models to the child so that they can connect to their bodies and recognize what's happening for them as well. Um, yeah. And so that's another example of connecting to self it's like oh wait i'm not just you know neck up like it's not just my brain in the room here <laughs> it's, it's all of me um and, and 
and trying to practice that. That's been really interesting too. What's the favorite trip that you've been on? Not imaginary, but real. (laughs) Not just planned, but followed through. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot are special to me for different reasons, but I went on a trip to Ireland. It was my second time there about five months after my dad died. And for me, it was intentional going back to this place where I was already familiar with it and um, where I knew I'd feel pretty safe walking around, just randomly walking around. And I just, I spent like a week and a half walking around the national parks there by myself, just the cows and the sheep and um, folks mowing their lawns. And it was just, it was really meaningful to me because I kept running into people who had grieving stories of their own or um, who just sort of illuminated my um, grieving process in some way. And I had little moments where I really felt connected to my dad and, and, and plus it's just a beautiful country. I just love that country. Um, and so that will always feel probably like the most meaningful trip that I took. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. I'm someone who really believes in talking about grief and death and loss because I think our society, there's such a hesitation a lot of the time. And when you're going through it, it just makes it so much worse because you feel like you're in this bubble and you can't talk about it. And So whenever I can, I try to talk about it. All right, you ready? Oh boy, this is okay. No, this here is, we go. This I'm is, gonna have to. This is fun and this regulate is, myself here a little yeah. bit. <laughs> um, and it'll be over super quick. You're not having fun, so. <laughs> what book have you given the most as a gift? I don't really give books as gifts. Describe your style in one word. Confused. Would your 12-year-old self think you were cool? Yeah. (laughs) It's a low bar, though. (laughs) (laughs) What did you wish you learned sooner? How to be a friend to myself. Do you have tattoos? No. What's your motto? I would say this changes a lot, but right now... Um, I have been saying a lot to myself and I know this isn't quick. Sorry. Um, Corey Mascara, he's a mindfulness teacher and he, he will say it's like this as sort of a way to connect to self, um, during a difficult time. And that's kind of what I've been practicing is it's like this, it's like this. What is your underwhelming superpower? Underwhelming superpower? Oh, gosh. Something it. came to mind, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is say uncomfortable. It. Only if you're comfortable. Um, and it's something I'm kind of working on. Um, m- 
molding myself in situations to like what people need. Mm-hmm. If, if I 100%. don't know how else to phrase that, but met another chameleon. <laughs> yes, exactly. Living person you most admire. I think my mom, she's been through a lot and, uh, yeah, she just keeps trying. And I appreciate that. Awesome. Feels like a good one. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you have made it to the end of the podcast. If you made it this far, you probably like us. Or you were just distracted while you were listening to the episode. Either way, we're really glad you made it. If it's the latter, don't share this with anybody. <laughs> if it's the former, give us a shout out. You so- know, like us, subscribe. What else do you do to a podcast? I'm confused. Send it to a close friend. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're really grateful and glad you're here. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you later.